before we get started, I always like that. Child shouts out, yeah. Did you hear that? I heard it. I needed it. Hey, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Hope you're uh, glad to be here. We're uh, right in the middle, kind of tail end of a, a series that we're doing called Love Illuminated in honor of February, the month of love. And uh, before we get started, I want to just say too, last night was fantastic. Okay, hey, let me just share with you just some, some, some tidbits. Some of the guys that you would think, you know, nah, he wouldn't share like that. Man, they got put their heart out there and, and cried in front of everybody and just shared how much they love their wife and their, their eternal partner. I was like, wow. Like Daniel, for example. Boom, he brought it. Thank you. And so many others and the sisters did the same thing. It was a tremendous night. You know, what I really appreciate is what we're doing in the church is, is we're really illuminating love, not just in in classes, and, but it's, it's really happening. And uh, last night was really a special night, and I look forward to everybody having that opportunity to, to feel that and, and, and experience that in some way, whether you're single, whether you're married, uh, whatever stage in life you are, and if you're a guest here, we want to welcome you. We've been doing this series for the last two weeks talking about relationships, and the Bible really majors in relationships, talks about three subjects, redemption, righteousness, and relationships. And what we've been talking about is not superficial, you know, acquaintance relationships. We've been talking about deep, lasting, lifetime relationships that really make life worth living. And how do you do that? How do you have those relationships? And God's got the answers. Uh, so week one, we talked about the relationship that we can have with God. What's that all about? And the promise that he makes with us in a covenant uh, that, that he basically says, I love you and I got you and let me show you through Jesus how much I love you and how, how much I've laid it down for you. And, and so if you missed any of our, our classes, you can go to the website and look at it and watch it. Uh, share it with a friend uh, that you think maybe could benefit from what we're talking about. And then this past week, we talked about, you know, one of the most profound relationships that are out there and that is marriage. And, and we illuminated that. What is, what is marriage? Uh, and, and so it was, it was a tremendous lesson. I highly recommend, if you're married or single, go back and listen to that because it was, it was really tremendous. It'll help us. And so we've been talking about this whole idea of a covenant. What is a covenant? A deep, lasting relationship involves a covenant, meaning I'm making, as it says here, a serious spiritual bond between the person that I'm going to make a covenant with. It can be groups of people. And this is what God made with us. This is what happens when a couple, whether they know it or not, when they get married, they say vows. And a lot of people, that goes right over their head. They go through the motions. But in God's eyes, he's saying, no, I'm listening. I'm taking what you're saying seriously. And it's a big deal to me. The difference between a covenant and a contract, what we've been talking about, it's characterized by what, by what one can give versus what can get. A contract is characterized by what you can get out of the relationship. A covenant is, hey, I want to give in this relationship. And that's what makes it so powerful. And so let me just take you back what we, we talked about week one. This is how we know what love is. Love illuminated. This is how we know Jesus describes it for us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And how do we give it back? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, true love, love illuminated, has to do with 
laying it down for other people. I'm in this to give. I'm not in this to take. And, and that's why I believe love is completely missing in our world today and misconstrued because people think, hey, I want to find love. I want to get love. I, it's all about me. And we miss the point. And Jesus sets the bar for us. And that's what we talked about in week one. And then last week we talked about this, Hebrews 13, 4. Honor marriage. Marriage is different than any other relationship. Honor marriage. Guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a wife and a husband. See, a lot of people in our world today think that sex is physical. No. It's so, it's so much more. God is saying, when a man and woman come together in holy matrimony, see, you can, you can, you know, live with a couple and, and buy a house together. You can have children together and not be married. You can, you can do lots of things. But there's one thing you can't do, like we talked about last week, unless you're married. And that is to be in a holy relationship a holy relationship. See, there may be in sexual intimacy some pleasure, but there won't be purity. And that's why a lot of couples, they finally cave and they say, you know what, I want to get married because I feel guilty. It's because they don't feel pure. And God created marriage so that the relationship would be pure, that it would be a holy relationship. And we need to honor marriage even if you're not married, we need to esteem it as God esteems it. That it's something sacred, it's something powerful. You know, before there was a community, before there was an ethnic difference between all of us, before there was a nation, it all started with a couple, a married couple. That was the beginning. And look where we are now. But when you bring this down, it reaps all kinds of havoc in our society. Jesus said this, and he quoted it, but this is where it all began in Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We talked about this last week, cleaving. What happens when a couple gets married? They come, become so united, they cleave together. As God describes it, they're no longer two people. They leave the closest relationships that they had in the past, which is mom and dad. They leave mom and dad, leave that relationship, leave that family, and start something even more powerful. Basically, what this word cleave means is they become inseparable. Inseparable. It can't be broken. And it takes three to have a great marriage. We talked about this last week, that when you involve God in the relationship, then these two become even closer. The best marriages that I've seen is when the couple, both of them individually and together, are close to God. And they work at that. They fight for that. They struggle for that. Whenever there's a disagreement, they pray and they say, God, we need you to come in here and help us. And some of you have experienced that but we always keep God in the middle. And we talked about this last week, is marriage is bigger than our personal pursuit of happiness. See, too many people are worried about, well, I'm not happy in this relationship. See, God is telling us, it's not about your happiness, it's about the unity. Happiness comes from the unity. 
But if you try to pursue in a relationship and marriage and family happiness, you're going to be in for a lot of ups and downs. It's not always about happiness. But if you pursue unity, if you pursue being united, then you see the fruit of happiness. So today what we're going to talk about is when the lights go out. And this is a very important topic we're going to talk about today. You know, we've been talking about love illuminated, but what happens when the lights go out? And this is real. This is real in our society, this topic of divorce. And this may be one of the most difficult talks we're going to have in the whole series, and maybe for a few months, this may be the most, you know, uncomfortable talk, because some of us, I know, you know, you've been divorced, you were raised in a divorced home, and this isn't, again, we started talking in the beginning, this isn't about throwing stones. This isn't about judgment and condemning. This is about learning so we can succeed, so we can rise above the darkness that our world is surrounded by. And so, you know, in this whole idea, I I wanted to share, how does God feel about divorce? In the Malachi, 400 years before Jesus, Malachi, the prophet, says this, on behalf of God, has he not made you and your wife one? You belong to him, body and spirit, and what does he seek from such a union? Godly children. So guard yourselves. Be true to the wife of your youth and stop being unfaithful. What was happening in the time of Malachi? Similar things that's happening now. Husbands are being unfaithful to their wives. And God has strong convictions about that. See, what is God, what is he up to when he brings a man and a woman together? He wants to produce godly children. He wants to produce a family. And his feelings are so strong. Look at this, this next verse that we read here in verse 15. 16, it says, For I, the God of Israel, hate divorce. The commander of the heavenly armies despise it when people wrap themselves in violence like a garment, so guard yourselves, be true to your wife and not unfaithful. How does God feel about divorce? He hates it. Now let's be honest, how does our world feel about divorce? How does the state of California feel about divorce? It's no big deal. But some of us have been around divorce and we've been experienced the consequence of divorce, it's devastating. God has every reason to say, I hate it. I hate it because it ruins people. And we're going to talk about that today. Divorce is ugly. And some people have asked the question, well, what's the, what's the church's position? See, because, you know, we believe that God can teach us to avoid disasters, darkness, but the pressure is so, so, so powerful, so continuous on the church, and you're hearing it over and over again. We'll just get a divorce. If you're finding it hard, if it's difficult, if you're hurt, if you're this or you're that, just get a divorce. Just get out. It's legal. It's okay. And you hear that over and over again, and what happens to people even in the church? They get divorced. And God's heart breaks. And even us as a church, some of you, you've seen some of the people that you're close to 
get divorced in the church. So we have to draw a line. We have to say, you know what? What is your position, God? What does your word say about divorce? And that we'll, we'll fight together to uphold God's view of marriage and know when and how. And so as we look at this, what was, you know, God's original plan? And you have to make a choice. Are you going to follow culture? Or are you going to follow God's original plan? You know, when I always look at what was going on around me and, and my friends and family, when I, as I was growing up, I said, you know what? I don't want anything to do with culture. It may seem popular, may seem cool, may seem, but I don't want anything to do with it. I want to view what God's plan is for marriage and family and understand that. And so we're going to look at what Jesus taught on marriage and family. And this happened in Luke chapter 19, verse 2 and, two and 3. As we know, large clouds, crowds followed Jesus, throngs of people. And where this took place was significant because it was under a place that was ruled by Herod the king. And if you know your Bible, you know that King Herod, he had a brother who was married to a beautiful wife and he said, I want her for myself, and I'm king, so I can take her, and did. Took his brother's wife and married her because he was king. And everybody knew about it. And John the Baptist pointed his finger at King Herod. Imagine a, a you know, rugged prophet comes and talks to a king and says, hey, you're in sin, King Herod. What you're doing is flat adultery, and you will be judged by God for it. King Herod arrested him and threw him in jail where he died. So, in this position, in this place, large crowds would follow Jesus, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came along. And if you don't know the Bible, the Pharisees had an adversarial relationship with Jesus. They wanted to take him down because he was a threat to their position and their authority, religious authority. So they came to him to test him. I want you to watch how they frame this question, Okay? And think about the audience and the location of where this question was being asked. Lots of people. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Thousands of people. You think there were some divorcees in the crowd? You think people were going to go back and tell Herod what Jesus' view on marriage and divorce is? Absolutely. They were trying to put Jesus on the spot to get him in trouble, to get the crowd maybe to turn against him, maybe some, some, some people that were divorcees and believed, you know, that they were justified by getting a divorce. And we're going to talk about what the culture was. But just so you guys understand, during Jesus' time, not much different from today. There were several Pharisees or teachers, rabbis, Jewish basically experts of the law who were teaching about divorce, when it's okay. One rabbi taught that if your wife or your husband was an adulterer, you could divorce. There was even one rabbi that taught from the law of Moses, he said, if your wife cooks some nasty food, you can divorce her for that reason. Seriously. It was a rabbi. 
Another rabbi taught that if you find a newer, better model in a wife, you can divorce your old wife and get a new one. So, and it was predominantly men leaving women at this time. And then there was another rabbi that taught you can divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever because you're the man. And God's put you in that position. So this is the context of what was going on during this time when they asked them this question. And they had rabbis to back it up. So let's listen to how Jesus handles this question. So they are no longer, back up here, verse 4 and 5. Haven't you read, Jesus said, he replied, that in the beginning the creator, who started this? The creator. The creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. He goes right back to the beginning. Let me give you a little piece of advice. If you ever have a question about how to do something, go back to God's original plan. What's God's plan? I, I know what, you know, Dr. Phil is saying. But what's God's original plan? What's, what's, what's his plan? I know what my neighbors think and my aunt and my uncle think and what they're doing. Hey, what's God's original plan? Jesus takes it back to there because you can't argue with God. Takes it back and he says, the two will become one flesh like we talked about. They will cleave, verse 6. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, let no one, Who's included in no one? Let no one separate. In a lot of weddings, you'll hear this quoted. If it's a good minister. Because he's quoting what Jesus said. What, what, what positions does man have to break something that God has brought together? And so Jesus is laying it down. And we'll think of a hundred reasons why it's okay for me to divorce my wife or divorce my husband. I have reason. Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You don't have reason. Because God brought this relationship together. Well, it was at the Justice of the Peace or it was in Vegas in a chapel with lights and, and mariachis and all that. That wasn't God. This is justice of the peace. It doesn't matter. God, God heard those vows, and he will hold you to those vows. See, marriage is much more than we realize. It's not a little deal to get married. So Jesus has got to clarify. Look at, look at now how it goes even further. They get the, the, the lawyers come out, and they said, when, why then, they asked, these are the lawyers, why then, they asked, did Moses... Okay, so they're bringing out the gun, you know, the, the creator of the law. He wrote the law, okay? Why did Moses command that a man can, a man can give a wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, there is a verse, if you want to check it, Leviticus 24, 1 through 4. We're not going there, but you can check it. This is what they're referring to. And they're saying, basically, hey, why did Mo if, if, if you're saying you can't get divorced and divorce is not acceptable before God and it's sin, then why did Moses say this? So they're trying to contradict him. 
Now let's look at Jesus. Jesus goes right in. I have a recommendation. Don't argue with Jesus. You can't win. Okay, because he's going to expose you. He's going he's to show you things that you don't even know about yourself. Now watch what he says here. His answer. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. You want to know why Moses allowed it? Because your hearts were hard. And it was a very specific situation that Moses was speaking to. Okay, again, this is not about condemning, throwing rocks. This is about learning so we can have successful marriages. Okay? I know I may be stepping on some, some toes and things, but listen to what, what he's saying here. Your hearts were hard. What are some characteristics of a hard heart? You no longer feel for anybody but yourself. Jesus talked about this whole idea of hard-heartedness to his disciples in the Gospel of Mark, and he says, you can't understand. You're blinded because your hearts are hard. And he was talking about the yeast and the, and the loaves and the Pharisees. He said, you guys don't get it. It blocks you from understanding. You can't see. When your heart is hard, you can't see the effect of things around you. Basically, a hard heart keeps you from caring about other people. You only care about yourself. See, a hard heart basically turns the light off on love. And that's what led Moses to do what he did. But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone divorces his wife except, now here Jesus talks about this passage in Leviticus 24, 1 through 4. He says, except for sexual immorality, or in other words, adultery. And marries another woman, commits adultery. So, Here's the exception for divorce, according to Jesus. If your husband or your wife commits adultery, it's permissible. It's not advisable, but it's permissible to get a divorce. You are not sinning if you get a divorce when your husband or your wife has committed adultery. That's what Jesus is saying. But if any other reason besides this one and you marry somebody else like Herod did, like many people do today, what's Jesus saying? You're committing adultery. It's because God took that covenant seriously. But today, people marry like musical chairs. And God's saying, no, that's not... That's not what I intended. In verse 10, now, the disciples are hearing this. They're just sitting there watching, you know, and they're listening. The 12. And look at what they say. The disciples said to him, if it's this situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to get married at all. Good answer. Because that's heavy, Jesus. You know what? This is a good answer because they're saying you can't take marriage lightly. It's serious. It's a big deal. Why is it such a big deal? Because it's a big deal to God because you're not only going to affect 
You and that person you're going to marry, you're going to affect your future children, you're going to affect family members, you're going to affect society. It's a big deal. And if you're married, it's too late to go, oh, I made a mistake. No, you're married. You've got to work with that. Okay? So, you know, that's a good answer by the apostles. Now, this whole idea, why, why is it such a big deal to get a divorce? We need to talk about it. And so I, I've asked a brother to come and, 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 and talk about this with us because it's a church-wide need. You know, there used to be a time when there was very little, if any, divorce in our church because we upheld marriage. But because of the, the, the pressure that the world puts, and it's no excuse, but the pressure that the world puts and, and, and the, just the bombarding of it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, and you're the exception, you're the exception, this is an exception. It's happening in the church. People are getting divorced. And today, hopefully, will be a, 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 a sign that says, hey, wait a minute. What's our position as a church? And so uh, I, I wanted to let you guys know that our elders of the Los Angeles International Church of Christ, the LAICC, put together a letter. And I'm not going to be able to read all of it to you today, but they basically penned a letter, took a lot of time to study out what the Scriptures teach on divorce. When is divorce acceptable? Okay, under what circumstances? And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of, you know, uh, intricate, very detailed information in this letter. And they went to great lengths to study it out. I think they took about eight to nine months reading books, studying it out. And I appreciate that we have these men who shepherd the flock. Highly recommend you read the letter. It's on our website. We have copies at the tables outside if you'd like to get a copy and read it. If you're single, highly recommend you read it. You need to understand what's God's position, what's our church's position on marriage and divorce so we can take it seriously. But I wanted to ask a brother to come and, and, and share. I got some questions for him because I think it's important that we weigh in. What happens in the church? If you could turn this mic on for me, uh, Chris, the green mic. And uh, I've asked Hector Torres to come out. And uh, so let's give him a hand up. Come on up. Now, this takes great courage because Hector's going to share with you guys his parents were in the church, are in, are in the church, and they got divorced in the church. And I wanted to ask Hector some questions so we can hear what's it like to grow up in the church and see your parents get divorced, even if there's biblical reason. What's it like? when you get divorced. So thanks for doing this. It takes a lot of courage, and I know your brother's here. And, but uh, I, I want to, you know, just start out. When, when, uh, when was the first time that you started noticing something was going on with your parents? Uh, the first time that this started going around was when I was about 11. Um, you know, they just, they just started arguing a lot more than usual. And it wasn't just little arguments here and there, talking in each other's ear. But it was more of yelling and loud, especially my mom. And, um, you know, every time we got used to it. And every time they went into the room and closed the door, we, just, we already knew that there's going to be an argument. You know, we, as brothers, we just knew that there's going to be an argument. 
And yeah, it was just about the age 11 when, when all this just started happening and then um, things just started going downhill. And with you and your, your brothers, your, the three of you, uh, what, you know, when all this was going on and even when your parents got separated, what was it like for you guys when you would talk with each other and just share what was going on? To be honest, um, I didn't know how it was for my brothers. Uh, I, I know we were all going through our own thing, but to have the, the connection and the thing that was supposed to hold us together, which was our parents, to have them disconnected, it disconnected us. I know that I didn't feel connected to my brothers anymore. I felt like they weren't there. Um, so I, I never knew what they went through. They have their own, their own thing that they went through, but I know for me, it was hard. As an 11-year-old, um, growing up into the teenage years, going into middle school, high school, you, you need your parents. You need their guidance, you need their help. Um, if you have older brothers or like siblings, you need their help because they already went through the, the steps. Middle school, picking out classes, high school, picking out classes, um, getting to school. But I didn't have that. Um, I didn't have the guidance and I felt lonely. I felt like no one, won't, no one was there. I felt as if, as if the people that were supposed to love me the most weren't there anymore. And it was hard, and I felt as if I had to do everything on my own. And, and when you, this was going on in your family, uh, and you guys were still coming to church, I remember uh, seeing you and your brothers come to church. Well, how, how did you look when this is going on at home, and your dad was a single parent at this time? How did you look at the church when you come to Sunday school, and what, what was your view of the church at that time when you were just going through all this turmoil? How did you see the church? Uh, I just didn't see it as a home. I didn't see it as, as someone where I can put my trust in it, where I can believe that this is where you're going to feel at home. This is where you're going to feel loved. This is where you're going to feel complete, uh, where you, you're away from all your problems because the problems were following me to church. And everywhere I went, it was following me, and I was going through everything. So I just didn't, I didn't see it as a place where I wanted to be anymore. I, I felt like I just didn't care about it anymore. Mm. And right now you're in a dating relationship, right, in the campus ministry, right? That's awesome. Okay, so, but let's be honest, let's be real. You've been dating, what, a few months now? Uh, what are some of the effects that you're seeing in your life, in your relationship with your girlfriend right now because of what happened with your parents? <laughs> well, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I know Caitlin can definitely say that. But um, there's two major ones that I know that, that came to my mind first, and that was the fear of abandonment. You know, the two, like, like I said before, the people that were supposed to love me the most, unconditional, always be there for you, always support you, just be there, like, through thick and thin. They weren't there. You know, they separated, and even after the separation, they, they were doing their own thing, and they weren't really there. And, you know, I've, I have that fear of abandonment. Like, if the two people that are supposed to love, them, love me the most, um, why would, and they left me, or the, that's how I felt, like, why couldn't, why can't my own girlfriend do that? You know, and I feel, I feel, I feel that fear of being abandoned, 
And the second one I, I know is um, because of that, I don't trust. I definitely have a hard time trusting. I have a hard time opening up to people because I feel that whatever I tell them, it, they're not going to actually be there for me. They're not, that's, all they're doing is being nosy, but they don't actually care. And I definitely have a hard time trusting. And it's an issue. It's an issue that needs to be resolved because it affects our relationship because I hurt her. She can tell me so much or she can show me so much, but the moment she, she does something that I feel like my parents did to me, my trust just, it just goes down. And I, I, shut, I shut down. All right, so I'm gonna give you a chance now, okay? You got some married couples here in the audience, okay? As a child that went through this, and you know, in every marriage, there's gonna be challenges. What advice would you give parents of children about protecting and, you know, staying married, fighting for your marriage? What would you say to them if you had a chance to speak to, as you do right now, to our families, our parents? What would you say to them after everything you've experienced? Don't, don't give up. Um, it's hard, but when marriage isn't a game. It's, it's a commitment. It's a commitment between you two and with God. Like how Peter is sharing, you guys are supposed to be unified in one, and that's what you guys committed to. It's not just a relationship where you break up and nothing really happened. You know, you're hurt, but that's about it. But in a marriage, you guys break, you guys break each other's hearts, you break God's heart, and if, especially if you have children, you break their hearts. And you break, and you just make them insecure in many ways, and you, you affect them. So don't do it. I know it's, it's easier than said to be done, but work through it. It's, you can do it with God, you know? God can fix anything that you have, fix any problems. He's bigger than any problems you have, any, bigger than any fear. He can definitely do it, and as long as you guys have a relationship with God, you guys pray to him daily, and you guys pray together, and you guys keep your foundation with God, anything is possible. And I know that whatever problems you guys are going through, if you guys are having problems with marriage, um, God can get you through it. There's nothing that he can't do. So yeah. Thank you, Hector. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of courage right there. A lot of courage. Mm. So you heard it. This went on in the church. I watched it. And I want you guys to understand, me as a minister, I don't control people. I wish I could. You know what I'm saying? I wish I could. I wish I could get people to stop. You know, like a remote control. Stop. Mute. Change that. Stop that. Start this. Do that. I can't. People look to me in, in, as a minister and they say, hey, what are you doing about that? I'm praying for them. I'm talking to them, I'm teaching them, I'm, I'm counseling them, I'm trying to help them, but it's up to them to change it. This went on in the church. It was devastating. I remember, you know, walking out of church and watching Omar, Hector's dad, come to church with his three boys alone. Now, God has worked things out tremendously, you know, since then. 
And he can. God can fix things. He can, he can make them right. But you can't undo that. And I, and I wanted to share, just for parents, future parents, if you're contemplating marriage, you need to think about it. Because it has a tremendous effect on your children. And, and there's a lot of research, non-religious research. Here's what happens, the negative effects of divorce on children. Emotional pain and suffering... The feeling and existence of insecurity in their own life, struggle, they struggle with anxiety above the norm. They have a lower self-esteem. They have tendencies to be aggressive and angry in situations that aren't normal. They frequently get depressed. They have poor social, poorer social skills. And they have a higher divorce rate as children Studies have proven when their parents got divorced. See the chain effect. They're, they're more susceptible to sickness in studies that they've done. The increased likelihood of dropping out of school, higher than parents of kids that stayed together. These kids drop out more. Propensity to crime and poverty. Higher risk of stroke. Greater chance as I said, of getting divorced themselves. And here is probably the shocker. Studies have shown that children of divorced parents have a higher risk of early death. Divorce is no game. Marriage is no game. In the church, we, when we sit down with couples, we do premarital talks, and we try to help these couples understand not to be afraid, but to understand this is a big deal that you're getting into. And it's a lifelong relationship. On, to death, to death, we're making this relationship work because the stakes are so high. So I wanted to, to read, you know, there's, we already hit one, one exception, and that is if there's marriage infidelity, it's not a sin to get a divorce. If there's adultery, it's not a sin to get a divorce. There's one other exception the Apostle Paul makes for an acceptable circumstance for divorce. And he wrote it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13. If a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. What he's saying is, if your husband is not a Christian and he leaves you, then it's permissible to get a divorce and vice versa. If you're a follower of Jesus and your wife leaves, it's permissible. Now, you heard the story, it's permissible, but the consequences are still the same, aren't they? And even with the adultery, because, you know, I, I've heard this so many times when, when couples, they, they have adultery in their relationship, and they come and they say, well, there it is. I, I can get out. And the hurt is so vivid. The hurt is so strong. But let me just share this with you. We could have a number of couples sit up here and say, there was infidelity in your marriage, and you stayed together. Why did you do that? And how's your marriage now? Do you know that there's elders in our fellowship of churches that have had infidelity in their marriage 
way before, and they decided to stay together, and God has used their marriage to change lives? Now, these are the exceptions. But what, what the, we're trying to say as a church is, even if you've got an out under the, under the umbrella of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, can you really justify walking away versus forgiveness? See, we always got to opt for forgiveness because of Jesus and what he's done for us. So I wanted to read some, some, some brief things in the, in the letter that the, the elders have written because there's a lot of stuff here. I highly recommend you, you read it for yourself, no matter what stage in life you are. So basically, these are the key issues that the elders have brought up. Though there are definite biblical commands and principles regarding divorce and remarriage, we cannot overestimate the needs for leaders to pray for wisdom and seek advice in order to properly apply them. Divorce is a divinely hated reality in our fallen world. The role of the church is to illuminate the path to redemption. The need for preventative counseling, including disciplinary steps in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, should always remain our first and strongest line of defense against divorce. Disciples should not separate from one another for unsanctioned causes, but if they do so, they must remain unmarried or be reconciled. With someone in the church whose spouse has been unfaithful, he or she has the right to divorce and remarry since the cause of the divorce was immorality or abandonment on the part of the spouse. When chosen, this recourse allows the marriage bond to be broken for the innocent party, but also breaks the bond for the guilty party, and hence both can remarry. Each local leadership will need to consider what repentance appears as in the life of the guilty spouse as well as the hardships anticipated by the formerly married parties. It is noteworthy that although the leadership of the local church might respond to an isolated act of adultery with a private warning to the ones who sinned, the spouse of such a person would be in his or her biblical rights to demand a divorce. Although reconciliation would always be the strongly encouraged to the unfaithful, may be so devastated that the faithful spouse can no longer stay in marriage with an adulterous partner. Divorce should always be, be considered at the last possible but not unscriptural resort. At conversion, people are to accept their present marriage status. In other words, if you're a divorcee, and you come into the church, you stay in the situation you're in and you can remarry. If you're remarried second or third time and you come into the church and you get baptized, you're to stay in the situation that you're in. You don't go back with your former spouse. Obviously, there's a lot of detail to this. They finish in saying divorce is an ugly and painful affair for those involved and the families and friends surrounding a broken marriage. The option of remarriage can seem to permit the guilty but penitent party to carry on with him without impunity. However, we must remember our place and purpose as a church. Jesus' mission is about redemption. He saves the worst using the term in the humanistic sense that the guilty party in a divorce, our mission is to help as many as possible be saved. 
Our brothers and sisters who have lived in more difficult times have had to accept the redemption of many who hurt them, perhaps personally, beginning with some of Paul's acquaintances. And there's a, there's a lot here. But I want to just say this. When there's divorce in the church, it's messy. It's very messy. And we always got to go back to the cross and say, who's going to fix this? Jesus. And, you know, even as a, as, a, as a minister, I look at some of these situations that go on in different places and, you know, they got divorced and then they got remarried and they're over here in this church and I'm just going, oh my gosh. This is so messy. But understand this, every person has to stand before God and give an account for the things that they have done. And because somebody's in the church doesn't necessarily mean that everything's good with God. All of us have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But I'll say all of this today. What's the purpose of today? It's, it's, it's uncomfortable, and if you're a guest here, you're going, wow, why did I come to this? Understand this. The whole point of this is we don't want this to happen. And for all of you guys that are young, I just want to say you need to uphold marriage and you need to learn how to have a great marriage starting from your dating relationship. Where does marriage preparation start? In your dating relationship. Yeah, but we're just dating and it's, it's cards and flowers and dates and, you know, fun times and pizza and whatever. No, 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 you don't understand. You're laying a foundation for the future. And that future has a huge effect on your future family if that's God's will for you to be in that relationship. If you're in a marriage, let me just give you some points and we're going to wrap this up. For everybody who's married, because I see this going on a lot. Learn from a mentor. Find and learn from a mentor who's married. You know, we used to have this practice a long time ago that everybody's got to be in a discipling relationship, and we would mandate it. But not anymore because you can't mandate somebody's heart. You got to want it. But you know what? I see too many couples that are kind of going on it on their own. You know that? We got this. Let me just tell you, I saw it coming in so many of these situations where we've had divorces. I saw it coming. These couples were independent. They thought they got this, and guess what? They don't got this, and now it's a train wreck. I've been married 26 years, and guess what? I got a lot to learn, and I'm still getting mentored in my marriage. Our elders aren't here today because they're down in San Diego getting with John Mannell, their mentor. Interesting. These guys are elders, but they still need help. They still need someone in their life and their marriage to help them be better. And then this, this point here is put God first in all relationships. We talked about this, you know, this, this triangle, put God at the top and then we'll ensure this. But what's happened now is some couples are putting their relationship first, even above God. Give me some, give me some examples of that. 
When your relationship is more important than the people that are around you that you can help and serve. And I'm seeing a lot of young couples in the church, they, they get married recently, and they become isolated to themselves. A great example of not that is, is, is uh, you know, I, I told them last night, uh, David, and, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank, too much information, D- David, Lazarus, and help me, Angie. Sorry, Angie, forgive me. You know, when David and Angie got married, immediately they started serving in the church. It, it didn't become this like, okay, we got to protect our marriage. It's like, hey, we want to use our marriage to serve and glorify God. And, and there's too many young couples where like, they, they, be, they can become, oh, and it's cute and it's loving. No, 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 you don't understand. It, th- this is what's happening. I, I've seen this. My wife and I got married. Five months after we got married, we left to go be missionaries in Brazil. It was crazy. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend it. But man... You know, this, this couldn't have been further from the truth. It was, it was all God. Everything. And man, immediately God was working on our marriage to get us more unified. We basically put our marriage on the altar and said, okay, God, use it to start churches in Brazil, in Colombia, in Mexico. And I believe that's what creates great marriages. I'm thankful for the ride that we've been on the last 26 years. And and in closing, you know, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. You can't cheat in marriage. You can't. You've got to live in the Holy Spirit. You've got to be under the control of the Holy Spirit because if you don't, you're going to be angry all the time. You're going to be moody. You're going to be short-tempered. The Holy Spirit helps us to control all of that and gives us strength to say no to our sinful nature. And and in Galatians 5, it talks about that. Live change, not mediocrity. Guess what? If you've been married for a long time, you can still grow your marriage. Grow. Learn how to be better, be stronger, love more. That's what's so awesome about the resources that we have in our church. We're always trying to grow our marriage to the next level. Don't get mediocre in your marriage. Learn, grow. And then the last one is uh, light the way. You heard it this morning, the darkness. What, what if we did this? What if we take our marriages and, and really start working on them and prioritizing them and using our marriages? This is what happens. You know why I'm in the church? Why I became a Christian? Because of my sister's marriage. I saw her marriage as a light in a very dark world. I said, I want that. Can can you show me in the Bible how to have that? Because I want that. And she said, sure. A week and a half later, I was baptized into Christ. But it all started with a marriage. Guys, what if we have great marriages? And, And it's not, check it out, it's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. God's not asking us to be perfect marriages because I know some of us. I'm not, I don't have a perfect marriage. I got a marriage that, it gets bumpy every now and then. My kids can tell you. But we forgive and we repent. How many times have we repented and forgiven in these last 26 years? I mean, 
thousands, tens of thousands of times. We never stop repenting and forgiving. It's the key to a great marriage. So I encourage you, it's on our website, the letter. Take the time to read it. If you have any questions, I'm here. Our elders are here. Love to talk about it. And we may not have all the answers. That's why we have a group of elders in the L.A. church where we come together and we discuss very, very complicated, difficult situations. We pray over them. And God gives us the answers. At the end of today, I pray that God will bless our families in the church. And I want to leave you with this psalm, Psalm 96, verse 7. It says, give all credit to the eternal. Families of the world. Credit to him with glory, honor, and strength. God's given us great, great marriage. Last night was so awesome to see marriages that are shining. I mean, it helped me, you know, and and just to see, you know, the lawyers and their relationship and how far it's come since they came into the church. And I mean, it was powerful some of the stuff that was shared last night. we got some great marriages in the church. And it gives glory to God when we do that. Amen? So I'm going to pray for you. Today, we're going to stop talking about heavy stuff. Okay, next week we're going to talk about friendships. And we're going to illuminate love and friendships. Okay, it's going to be a lot of great, great stuff teaching about how to have great friendships. So I'm glad this is over. <laughs> and we got this talk out of the way. All right, so let's pray and may God bless you and your family and our ministry staff, our shepherds. We're here to serve you guys so we can have, all of us have great success in our relationships and family. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus being honest and taking us back to the beginning. Father, you know there's a lot of hurt here in our church. And we know you're, you're better than anyone to heal it. And you're going to do incredible, incredible things in our church. Thank you for healing our marriages. Thank you, God, for, for giving us a new start. And we pray, God, as much as we can, by your grace and by your power, we can build a great family, a great church. Pray for the people that are listening to this online, wherever it gets shared. I pray, God, that you'll please move through your spirit. If there's a couple on the fence that are hurting and they're contemplating that word, that, that, that destructive word, divorce, that they'll, they'll see it as, as you see it and move away and get help and humble out and find your answers to how we can stay together. Father, bless and protect the church and our marriages and families in the church. Bless our young people here, God, today that they can have a great hope that through you, All things are possible, and they can have a great marriage and family. And our culture, our society will not dictate who we are in your sight. We love you, God. Bless us and help us. And we lift up Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week for part four of Illuminated.